Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, a podcast for translators by translators, bringing you simple strategies to build better habits. In each episode, we'll focus on specific habits for translators in various stages of their careers. If you're a translator who enjoys learning about habits to improve your business and lifestyle, then this is the podcast for you. We're your hosts, Madalena Sanchez-Zampalo and Veronica Demichelis. Like you, we are professional freelance translators trying to balance the challenges that come with building a career and maintaining clarity and boundaries between work and personal life. We hope you'll join us in this conversation about smart habits and discover some simple strategies you can apply today to help you build your career and achieve the lifestyle you desire. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators. This is episode 30. We're excited to welcome another special guest today. We have with us our friend and colleague, Yves Baudou. Yves is a 20 plus year veteran of the language services industry and has worn many hats. She's an ATA certified French to English translator focusing on the translation of corporate communications, market research and international development content. She's also the owner of Boudou International LLC, offering multilingual project management to clients worldwide. Eve is co-host of the long-running Speaking of Translation podcast and author of Maintaining Your Second Language, Practical and Productive Strategies for Translators, Teachers, Interpreters, and Other Language Lovers. She sponsors an online book club for translators called the Global Reads Book Club that focuses on books and translation. She has graduate degrees from both the University of Lorraine Nancy too in France and the University of Virginia in the US. She's currently serving a term on the board of directors of the American Translators Association through 2021. Welcome to the podcast, Eve. Thank you, I'm glad to be here. We are so happy that you could join us, Eve. Uh, We love your podcast, Speaking of Translation, that you co-host with Corinne McKay. Thank you. And we absolutely adore your book, Maintaining Your Second Language. Um, Oh, thank you. (laughs) I guess we'll talk a little more about about that uh, in particular later, Uh, but we'll add the links to both of these in our show notes. And so when we talked about inviting you as a guest, we, we could think of so many topics to discuss with you. I mean, just, you know, from oh, like translation <laughs> to localization, to raising bilingual kids, uh-huh. to, I mean, smart habits on, you name what. Uh, but we decided that we should probably talk about smart habits for maintaining language skills, since you've shared so much on this uh-huh. topic. Um, it's extremely important for us as language professionals, as we all know, and you have a lot of experience and tips on this to offer our colleagues. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to do that. And then that's one of my favorite topics, as you can tell. <laughs> All right. So let's just jump in. Eve, can you please tell us when and how you started your freelance career? Yeah, sure. I started um, actually in the language services industry in 1994. And <laughs> so I kind of into it I'd moved to Colorado and I wanted something quote international <laughs> and so I ended up um, working for a translation agency and I was the vendor manager um, in Boulder Colorado and th- and that was really for one of the, what I consider and, and many people I think consider uh, one of the first true localization companies um, that it was you know not not really as much a thing back then and that was one of the pioneers and the company was called um, International Language Engineering and it was um, founded by a French engineer at the time 
And so, yeah, so that experience taught me a lot about, um, you know, the business of translation and the process of translation itself. And then I really think gave me this solid founding to kind of jump off into this 25 year career in the, <laughs> in the industry. Um, so after that, I worked for another translation company for a few years um, in Colorado. And then after that, I decided to start my own business as a translator and a translation project manager and consultant. And that was in 99. <laughs> I shouldn't say that so long ago. And <laughs> Uh, like Madalena mentioned that, you know, I'm still, I still have that same company today. And my funny story about that is I actually think it's a terrible name oh. now, the name of my company, Buddha International. But at the time I was a newlywed and I was like super excited. I'm like, oh yeah, people start their consulting businesses and they take their last name and my, you know, I'm newly married. This is so great. And now I'm like, oh my God, no one can pronounce it. Nobody can spell it, but it's what it is. And it's been 25 years. So I leave it. Yeah. <laughs> it's good I think it's good that you have your name attached to it you know yeah I like it um yeah but um yeah as I think you might have mentioned I'm a ATA certified French and English translator and I um, work for clients in you know the U.S. and Canada France Belgium Switzerland Luxembourg and other countries in Europe you know sometimes you'll I'm sure that happens to you guys too like I'll be contacted from mm -hmm. some company or a client in Italy or whatever you know not necessarily yeah. a Franco in my case not necessarily a Francophone country um yeah and I have a lot of experience too um, translating content um, that was created for um, Francophone and Francophone Africa too so wonderful wow so what does a typical work day look like for you and we know that that might be different right now during all this uh, crazy 2020 upheaval <laughs> So since I work with clients based in Europe, as I know a lot of us in the U.S. do, mm -hmm. I check my emails right away when I get up, which I'm not a super early morning riser, <laughs> but I can't, you know, I get up between, I'd say, you know, that's some, one of the perks of being freelance too, is I get up between, depending on what I need to do, between six and eight. <laughs> Okay. And also it's gotten later with the pandemic, but I check my emails right away um, so that I can reply during the work day, you know, for mm -hmm. my clients in Europe. And so I'm in U.S. Mountain Time and that's eight hours behind Central European time. Yeah. So 8 a.m. my time is like 4 p.m. in France. So I don't want to respond much later because people are going to start leaving for the day. So, right. yeah, of course. Um, and like I said, in, before the pandemic, I, I would usually get up a little bit earlier, 6 a.m., do some work, and then get my kids to school. Um, they are now, well, I have a high schooler and a college student now, mm -hmm. um, but I still would drive them to school. I've done that for many years and <laughs> like spending time with my kids. Um, and then I would come back around 7.30, 7.45 and continue working on, you know, on the projects or the marketing that I had scheduled for the day. Mm -hmm. So um, just kind of you asking what my, you know, my structure is for the day. I don't always succeed, but I do try to every day send out a warm email um, mm -hmm. every day, one, at least one or more to prospective clients. Um, and so, you know, doing the research that I need to do um, mm -hmm. so that I'm really familiar with why I might be able to help that client. And then also to try to write a compelling email, you know, it does take some energy yeah. and it can take between 10 to 40 minutes or whatever. So I try to do that once a day. Mm -hmm. um, also within that structure of around the work, I try to walk, you know, or to or do yoga every day. Yeah. Um, also, yeah. I try to take a break and eat my lunch in a different room than my office. <laughs> Yeah. That sounds kind of dumb, but I think it's really no. important now during the yes. pandemic. I think, no, I'm not going to eat here. I'm going to go downstairs. I'm going to, you know, bring someone else from my family and our, you know, my coworkers in quotes, right. And yeah. talk to other people. Um, so yeah. And sometimes I also need a change of scenery, which this probably goes against what people say for freelancing, but I found that it helps me and is that I will purposely do the dishes or something because I'm thinking, okay, I need a 10 minute break. 
and I'm going to sit here and do the dishes, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and I think that goes against conventional wisdom in the sense that you don't want to get sucked into like, oh, I'm at home, which we all are now, right, with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get sucked into like, oh, I'm here so I can do all this other stuff. That's, that's not really what I mean. I'm thinking I'm, I'm consciously taking a break to do this other thing to, to get. Yes. And for me, um, otherwise, I tend to get a little bit obsessive and, I, and I'm like really obsessed about this project or, or this task I'm doing and so then I won't leave my office. So that helps me to schedule and breaks to do different mm-hmm. things as opposed to I'm not doing it to get distracted. I'm doing it as a, as a purposeful break. That's really good. Yeah. I think that's important, yeah. especially the one like not eating your lunch at your desk, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I have done many for uh, many times over the years, but then I realized it's just not a good habit to be in. Yeah, yeah. And then also my husband's a clean freak and he gets mad if there's crumbs, but <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of kidding, kind of not. No, but that's not the reason I don't do it. Like you said, it's more to get a break and make sure you're doing yeah. some other task. And, 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 and like we all know, when you take a break from a specific task, then your mind is actually working on it in the background and then you come back to it too. And then you see it and mm-hmm. maybe see different things you didn't see before. Mm-hmm. True. Yep. For sure. Yeah, that's so true. I actually do the same thing if I um, step away from my desk a couple of times during the day and like go do the dishes or, you know, do the laundry yeah. for 10 minutes or do something or like organize a drawer just to like uh, get get a little uh, yeah, priority yeah. or a mental break. I don't know. And But the other reason I do that is um, if I don't, then when my workday is over and the kids are like, you know, off school or back from preschool, um, my husband's off work and I have like this pile of chores to do i'd much rather spend time with them than be like i need an hour to go through all the other things you know where like get them to help me so i think it's a win-win in my case i know i was thinking that too what you were just saying is that actually to do the dishes in that case maybe only takes me five minutes but then mm-hmm. it's not five minutes plus 10 minutes more for the laundry or whatever blah blah yeah. blah i'll add it up yeah. it piles up yeah 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 yeah, so you kind of um, answered the, our next question partly, but I'll, I'll still ask in case you have any extra tips. As you know, we talk a lot about work-life clarity on our podcast, and we believe that it's um, super important for freelance um, language professionals. And we prefer to call it work-life clarity rather than work-life balance. Um, so what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on this? And um, what things do you do to try and protect the boundaries between your work and personal life? Yeah, so like everybody, I guess I do try <laughs> and protect those boundaries, um, but I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure I'm successful as somebody else, but like maybe like a guru like Corinne has, you know, better ideas. But I guess I'm a regular person and um, you know trying to trying to function with that like everybody does. So I guess for me, I worry more about my work time overtaking my family life rather than vice versa. And my theory is that you know there's always more to do for work, right? Like we could yeah. really work 24 hours a yeah, day, probably, totally. you know, <laughs> like, oh, I could do this on my website or I could contact this mm-hmm. client or I could finish yeah. this project or so I guess for me, the, the clarity of it is making sure that I'm not dumping my kids <laughs> and husband <laughs> for yeah. the work thing. So, um, so I try to give them access to me when they feel like they need it, not just being on a tether from them, but just like, for example, if I'm on a webinar or a training call, I try to let them know that they can interrupt mm-hmm. me if they really need something. And like everything doesn't have to be, no, 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 you know, shut the door and you can't talk to me. So I try to try to clarify other times when I really can't, you know, it's a higher stakes call. Maybe I'm on a call with a client or I'm on a call with, you know, someone, a volunteer thing that's really important yeah. and they can't interrupt me. So I try to really make 
those clear where, yes, they're, of course, they're, even though, you know, I'm working, there are times when you can come in and it's not a big deal, but there are other times when it's not negotiable so that they feel like they're not just cut out. And also when we um, moved into this house where we are now, I, you know, there's a room that was specifically built to be, or designated to be my home office. And so, um, we um, asked that the door in my office was glass and so so people mm -hmm. can see through and they can see me or they can make motions yeah. to me or it just makes us feel yeah. a little bit closer or they feel like they have more access to me and I can motion like no no you know don't come in now or you know that kind of thing so that I do have privacy but that that, that there is that transparency kind of and you could do that too you don't have to build mm -hmm. a new house to do that <laughs> I mean if someone wanted to use some, someone could you know replace a door yeah, with yeah. a glass door um, and um, yeah, so that's one thing. And and I, and and for me, um, I think too that learning to interact, especially during the pandemic now, where I you know in the past pre-pandemic, I was used to for really decades being in my house by myself doing my work, right? So my whole house was my office. <laughs> but um, and the kids were at school and all that. Those were the days. Yeah, yeah those were the days. I know. I know. Yeah. That first <laughs> happened. I was like, what are you people all doing here? You know. <laughs> Like, I, yeah. you, you don't belong here. This is exactly. my space during the day. But, um, but I do feel like, I think now it kind of imitates, in some way we could look at it as imitating when everyone was, other people were working in you maybe an office setting or a cubicle setting, that people did interact, mm -hmm. right? You didn't just ignore everybody that you were yeah. in your cubicle from people working around. So now it's not bad, you know, to be able to interact with my family during the day or whatever. So, um, you know, for me, and the vice versa is sometimes, I'll ask my bilingual kids or my husband for an input on a phrase in French. You know, I'm like, well, you know, this seems weird to me. Does it mean this or does it mean this? You know, or I'll say like, oh, you know, Luca, what, what do you think of just this English? Would you, would you think it means this or this? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Just like, you know, sometimes they're helping me too. And it's not just me trying to get rid of them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So my kids are now teenagers. Um, but when they were little, um, before they went to actual school, you know, which in the U.S. is from, it depends on what state, but it, most people start in kindergarten or kids kindergarten or first grade when they're five or six. I personally did have them attend um, paid daycare or preschool. And I felt like that was a way for me to really have that clarity. Like I needed to focus on my work like any professional does. And just because I was working for myself didn't mean like, oh, I, you know, I, I was at work, <laughs> even though I was at home, right? And so I had a job and I, and I needed my kids to get full attention from somebody who was taking care of them during the day yeah. when I was working and which because I was working couldn't be me. <laughs> and so I felt like um, that was something that really worked well for me. It provided space between my work and my personal mm -hmm. life that I really needed at that time. And then um, when my kids started school and they were still on the younger side, I, I also had them attend after school um, programs so that I could get a full day work in. So I worked, you know, from whatever, eight to five. And then in the summer, they went to summer camps. And I know that people have different ideas about whether they want their kids to do that or whatever. But I just felt for me, that really helped me to really see myself as a professional and to really have the time to devote to that task. And also for my kids, you know, to do fun stuff <laughs> when, when instead of, instead of me saying like, you know, crying cause I'm stressed out trying to talk to a client or whatever. Yeah. I'm kidding. But right. like, you know, when the kids making noise in the background or whatever. So that is not part of my life anymore, but that was important to me for many years um, mm -hmm. in getting that clarity between mm -hmm. home and work life balance. I think that's good. Yeah. I mean, my, my little one, you know, is, is very small right now. I know. So there's not a lot of yeah. actual activities, but I have thought about that because they got off from school so early and I'm like, I could be working for yeah. three more hours, you know, but 
yeah it's just interesting yeah. like that's, that's actually a really good thing to think about yeah. is just like what what do you need to get out of your day and then what could also be fun for them that would help uh-huh. them you know to grow in other ways because I'm sure that those after school activities were really beneficial to your kids too right yeah mm-hmm. yeah and they are they have so many great ones um mm-hmm. in the after school programs so Eve, um, what are some smart habits that you felt have been crucial for you in your career? You know, anything that that's related to work or physical, mental health, relationships, family, you name it. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about two things that are kind of related, but slightly different, I think, that have been really, that I felt for me personally are really, have been really important and that I think could be important for other people too. <laughs> and so the first one is, um, I've always tried to be willing to help colleagues out and to be a positive force. And I guess mm-hmm. another way to say that is networking. <laughs> but I, I try to see it as like another level up from networking, you know, more like your approach to life or to, to professional life. And so, um, and I think where that comes from is sincerely wanting to promote the profession and colleagues by kind of interacting positively with others and whatever that means, you know, to me or to you or whatever. So what I, an example is, is, um, you know, sharing knowledge by presenting at a conference or seminar. That's contributing to others in a positive way. Um, it could mm-hmm. also mean organizing an activity for, you know, your local TNI association, or it could simply mean responding kindly to emails that you receive from colleagues who want advice yeah. or whatever. You know, it could also mean, which I think is really important, taking the time to an effort to refer, refer people, you know, putting the right client and, and appropriate colleagues together, not just like, mm-hmm. I can't help you with that. You know, it just kind of just, just kind of trying to be a positive force yeah. <laughs> in, in these different ways is one, one thing that I think has been helpful and just kind of helpful in my outlook on life, you know, helpful to make me feel good about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's super overall. important. Yeah. yeah. And the second thing I think that has been crucial for me um, in my career is volunteering um, within the language professions and within um, TNI associations. So they're kind of related, but not, not exactly the same. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for me, um, just over the years, it's been a way to learn about what's happening in the industry and to meet a lot more people. And truthfully, and this, this this third thing wasn't a way for me, wasn't purposely necessarily, but of course, if you're meeting more people, then more people know about you too. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, putting yourself out there too and, and being more recognized. Um, so, you know, I've been super active uh, volunteering for the ATA, the American Translators Association, um, over the years, as well as my local TNI association, which is the Colorado Translators Association. Mm-hmm. So just not giving you a list saying, I'm so great. This is what I did. But just to tell people, here's different kinds of things you can do. Not, you know, you can do whatever you want, but here's the kinds of things. Like I volunteered, you know, in various capacities since I really started in the industry. So um, way back when I was the newsletter editor um, or I served as the vice president of CTA, Mm -hmm. or I just organized, like I said, some, you know, uh, um, organized a social event for the organization or whatever. It could be something small. So I think that, you know, even the smallest gesture helps our professional organizations to be stronger and for you to interact with others and learn more too. So, so I think that for me, it's been really, um, just something that, um, makes being in the industry more fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> and um, you know, and, and helps me. Well, hopefully, it helps other people too. Um, so I would highly recommend volunteering and contributing to a favorite um, professional association. And that doesn't necessarily have to be in the TNI space. You know, you like if you are someone who specializes in legal, maybe you're involved in some legal associate, whatever. You know, whatever your mm -hmm. other professional associations are that might be related, then um, you could be involved in those as well. That's good. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's so true. And I, I haven't heard of any um, associations who don't need more volunteers. Exactly. Yeah. Where think... you would be like, no, thanks, we're covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think what happens in the end is that you have to set limits, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah, exactly. But, it's interesting because, um, you know, it's a, that's a smart habit for you or a, something that's been helpful in your career, but it's also just a really good way for people like us who work, we tend to work not, you know, in settings where we have a lot of people around us who work from home or, you know, small office space or something. Uh, it's just a good way to get some social connections into. Yes. Yes, um, totally. Yeah. yeah. So Eve, let's talk about one of the topics that you have a lot of expertise in, um, maintaining your second language. And like we said, we, we love your book on this topic, Maintaining Your Second Language, Practical and Productive Strategies for Translators, Teachers, Interpreters, and Other Language Lovers. So uh, for everybody listening, we'll be sure to link to Eve's book in our show notes. But Eve, can you share some tips with our listeners on how to consistently work on maintaining your second language skills? Yeah, thanks for asking. As I said earlier, you know, this is kind of the book was a labor of love and I just love the topic and and I think it's kind of related to to my, you know, my own family's journey of with the bilingual kids, blah, 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 but applying it kind of in a professional way. So, um, mm -hmm. so I do think the most important idea kind of an upper level um, to retain about how to maintain your second language is you need to integrate practice of it into your daily life. That's the big the winning question, the winning answer, <laughs> mm -hmm. the, 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 the secret. So, um, you know, you don't, you don't want to just think of it as this, Oh, I have to do this, this separate task or I have to do the separate chore and make like it you homework know, or something. Yeah. 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 You want to integrate it into, um, you know, your daily activities so that it just kind of becomes part of who you are and part of your daily not schedule. That's, I like that way of thinking. Yeah. yeah. So I had okay. some examples. So um, for example, um, if you <laughs> like to read a novel um, or for 20 minutes, and I said a novel as opposed, I said a novel on purpose <laughs> here uh -huh. and, as opposed to like, I mean, you may want to read nonfiction too or whatever, but I'm thinking of more like kind of getting away from maybe work stuff, right? Like if you, if you think, oh yeah, I like to read, you know, nonfiction, yeah. I mean fiction. So if you like to do that every night, um, 20 minutes before you go to bed, which I have friends who, who do that and I try to do that oh, too. Yeah. So the, mm -hmm. then, you would choose a book in your second language instead of you know just just you're going to do that anyway so choose a book in your second language okay, yeah. <laughs> and so you can just kind of fold that into what you're doing mm -hmm. you're going to read anyway so right um, another example is um if you you're maybe you're someone who likes to watch some kind of you know um, tv show or streaming show or whatever to unwind mm -hmm. then choose a show in your second language mm -hmm. and so and that used to be a lot harder right of course like you'd have to buy dvds or yeah. way way back when vhs blah 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 it wasn't something yeah. that was really feasible mm -hmm. but today you know with youtube netflix or logging on with a vpn uh -huh. <laughs> so that you can maybe watch you know um stuff online that wouldn't be available necessarily where you live yeah um it's just so much easier to access content in many languages and you just have to look for it basically mm -hmm. so a third example is if you like listening to podcasts, which many of us do. Yeah. <laughs> so just be sure that you also subscribe and listen to some in your second language. That's so true. Um, you know, make that That's effort. something for some reason that we talked about that once on, on this podcast. And I was like, I don't know why I just don't look for those, but of course there's 
tons of them. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, there's literally like millions of, you know, I don't know how, there's millions of podcasts, I'm sure now, and they're in all types of subject mm -hmm. in so many different languages. So um, if you're going to listen to a podcast, try to listen to one in your second language. And then also I was thinking, um, just yesterday I was um, meeting with some members of the um, French language division of the American Translators Association. We were doing a, a networking Zoom and people, we were talking about, about audiobooks. Oh, cool. Yeah. And so that too, you know, the podcast, audiobook, whatever, you know, that to listen to that in your second language. So, um, and then another thing I wanted to say is kind of before you go, you know, thinking about what, what things you want to focus on to in your daily life that you can transfer over to a second language, to your second language. Mm -hmm. um, and, and especially we're talking about, you know, you're not obviously you're in this case we're talking about you're not living in the country where your second language is mostly spoken right right like, like for me it would be my french you know I'm trying mm -hmm. to think how can i get all this or vice versa if i was living in france to keep up with english or whatever so i think another idea that you want to do is you want to assess yourself i'm sorry assess for yourself what skill do you really want to work on so trying to work on everything involved with the language at once can be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you may think about it like, what do I want to work on the most? Do I need more, you know, more practice listening or do I need more practice speaking or writing or reading? Like what, mm -hmm. you know, the, that's, that's kind of how I have broken, broken up the different skills that go into, you know, quote, speaking a language or being fluent in a mm -hmm. language. And so then you can come up with, um, activities to focus on that particular skill instead of thinking I got to do it all at once you know I want to <laughs> and so maybe you think well yeah lately I've, I've had a hard time you know I feel like I haven't been speaking enough so mm -hmm. um, so for example if you want to work on your speaking skills but especially like with the pandemic we lack opportunities to speak with other native speakers I'm with with native speakers right. um, reading out loud you know, getting like, maybe you have that, that you have that novel that you chose, but then you're going to spend, you're going to say to yourself, okay, but when I, when I first start doing the reading, I'm going to read the first two paragraphs out loud. And that helps me because it's a, you know, it's a great way to get your mouth around the different sounds that are in that language as opposed to the language that you speak um, most of the time. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be learning new vocabulary at that same time. Right. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's good also to assess what actually, what skills do you want to work on? Yeah. And so that kind of goes with our next question, too. I really like your advice of making it practical for your everyday life, like kind of, you know, making, not making it an extra type of task or like homework type chore or something, because it, I think mm -hmm. that a lot of us do think that way when it comes to our skill sets in general, like, right? I mean, mm -hmm. oh, I really need to, you know, do more research in my area of expertise, or I really need to... Um, do more, you know, online trainings or webinars or something in this specific area. But when it comes to language skills, I mean, it's just so many things you can do with it. So we, I mean, you've already told us a few things, but um, what are, what are some fun ways that people can practice and maintain their second language when they're not working? And I think you've already touched on a few of those. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think just, this sounds kind of silly, but not really. You have to think about things that you like to do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and try to apply your second language. But I have some examples. Mm -hmm. um, so um, do you like reading poetry? Yeah. I actually did not like poetry at all when I was younger. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, mm -hmm. I, and I really actually, I mean, I'm not like a super into it now, but I like it. Like when I actually sit down and read poetry, I really like it in mm -hmm. French and in English. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, for example, if, if you're someone who's attracted to poetry, um, then you would think, okay, well, I'm going to read it in my second language or you know, yeah. or read it in both languages. So another thing is um, music is that I think music is kind of like poetry, right? A lot of times music mm -hmm. is poetry or the lyrics or whatever. And so it's really kind of a fun thing 
to, you know, learn, think about, well, who, who are the popular artists or who are the artists of the era that I like? Like if you like music, big band music or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, look into that. Um, and that's usually, they, they may have words too, they have lyrics too. So yeah, in my case, actually, because I have teenagers who are really interested in French music too, they often expose me to new music in, in French culture. So that's interesting. You know, there's lots of different ways you can find out about, you know, you can um, look on um, different streaming services and see what different channels there are and things like that, you know, but learn about music if that's something of interest to you. And then also um, another thing I've thought about is if you like to cook, um, you can read recipes in your second language or you can order cookbooks in it or you can watch cooking videos in your second language about things that you want to do. Different times we'll think, for us and my family, we'll think, oh, um, you know, I love this this specific dessert, you know, that nobody makes in the U.S., but we love it. It's from France. And so then my kids and I all watch the cooking video together and, you know, learn how to make that dish or whatever. And obviously we're watching it in French because hardly anybody makes it in the U.S. anyway. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, um, like we talked about earlier, if you assessed, for example, that you want to work on your writing skills, so you're really focused on, oh, I, you know, this stuff all sounds fun, but I really want to work on my writing skills. Something that you can do is as simple as writing out your daily to-do list in your second language. And so, and what I really like about that too is that when my kids were little, I actually, um, if you have kids, you can benefit from this. And if not, you can maybe want to do this anyway, is that when I was reading all the little kid books to them in French, I was learning tons of vocabulary that I hadn't learned because I didn't grow up there, right? So I was like, oh, I know the yeah. work for rake. I know the work for pe- pale or <laughs> like things that, yeah. And so, um, yeah, and so that might happen too when you're writing out your to-do list. You're thinking, oh, well, I don't actually know how to say, I don't know, what, clean the gutter. <laughs> And so then you make that effort and now you know how to say gutter or whatever. You're going to learn some of the words that you might not have known otherwise in doing these, just these daily tasks. So, and another thing for writing is um, you could, you know, if you, if the daily task is too, Um, skeletonal for you to do maybe you think I want something a little more with more meat on it you could keep a journal for example and do that in your second language so um, yeah and something that you mentioned earlier um, Madalena um, was research but I think we can apply research in a more of a kind of a fun way in the sense that if you have like everybody has you know their certain passion um, that they like and so not necessarily research for work but Um, I think doing research on something like, say you're a big gardener. Well, if you do research in your second language and on that, you may actually Mm -hmm. come up with different ideas because it's coming from a different culture where they have different ideas about whatever, gardening or fishing or or whatever it is. Like knitting or or sewing, you have to read a pattern. Yeah, absolutely. Knitting, exactly. Sewing. I was going to say some kind of art thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That you're going to say like, oh, you know, um, this, you know, they didn't really talk about that where I'm currently living, but they talk about that in that culture. That's so interesting. I hadn't thought of, like you said, that art, doing this art technique from that perspective. Mm -hmm. So you might research a passion that you're interested in and learn some new things about that you can apply that you wouldn't have learned, you know, without doing that too. Oh yeah. So, um, um, so basically what I think about, about all that is, is that I think there's so many things that we can do and it's really just limited by our imagination mm-hmm. of, of what to think, how to, how can we apply it? So, um, you know, um, I'd be interested, I don't know if you're, uh, you know, if your listeners can give feedback or I'd be interested to hear from them too, what, what ideas they have for ways that they practice in their second languages that other people could benefit from. It'd be interesting to hear some more ideas on that too. We can ask. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. People can leave a comment um, on our website under the show notes for this episode, and then we'll do um, some kind of a poll on social media, I guess, on um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Yeah. 
Thank you, Eve. So obviously it's a habit, as you mentioned, and it's something you have to practice all the time to make it a part of your day-to-day um, -day and part of your norm normal approach to, to doing things. But as with any habit, sometimes we feel like we hit a wall and we get in, you know, in, in a state where like, oh, it's just, you know, old and boring or like we're, we're out of the habit. So do you have any tips on how to get out of a rut when it comes, when it comes to improving or maintaining your second language? Yeah, I think just as we talked about before, that overall it should be fun and you don't want to make it a chore so that you avoid it. But I also do want to make the point that it does take commitment. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like with, with my kids, I think we might talk about that a little bit later, but like, I think sometimes people think like, oh, I speak, you know, I, I moved to this country and I speak Italian and my husband speaks Portuguese. So our kids will obviously grow up speaking that. Well, they won't if you don't no. make an effort to do it. I mean, it's just the truth, you know, mm -hmm. like it does take a commitment. But I also think, you know, if you're starting to feel overwhelmed and, you know, and, and you feel like it's not fun anymore, then you should also, uh, especially with what we're talking about, kind of mm. maintaining your professional language, don't feel bad about taking a break from it because you don't want it to become something that you dread because mm. then you won't do it at all. So I think in that case, you know, just recognize that long-term, if you want to do it, it does take commitment, but you know, it's no, there's no shame in taking a break and then come back to it when you're ready. Um, and like I said, just try to remember to do things that you're going to be doing anyway. So that keeping up with the second language just becomes part of your daily life. Yeah, I love it. So you mentioned um, your kids being bilingual and we wanted to talk about it next. That's um, obviously um, an issue for, for both of us, for Madalena and I um, too. Um, so how, uh, we know that you raised your kids to be fully bilingual, which is a huge accomplishment. Um, how did you do it? What strategies did you use when they were little and how do you help them now to maintain their language skills? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when they, well, actually when my first son was first born, we thought we would do, which people, if, if anyone's kind of looked into the, you know, how to raise kids bilingually, that you'll hear a lot about the one, one what is it? Yeah, one, person, one parent, one language. language. Mm -hmm. um, one parent, one language, yeah opal and so then so that's what i thought i thought okay you know i'm gonna do that i'm gonna speak english because it's my native language and we live in the u.s and we lived there we lived here then too and my husband will speak to them in french and then really for me like two weeks my son was two weeks old and i thought this is not gonna work <laughs> because english is because english is everywhere and i thought like i can i can speak fluent french to him so why yeah. don't i because english is everywhere and he's just not going to get enough input doing that and so i just you know just just kind of having tried that even just for two weeks i just felt forever us, it just wasn't going to work. He wasn't, he, he wasn't going to get enough French input. Mm -hmm. And so we switched to, which I didn't know at the time, but apparently it's called <laughs> um, the minority language at home. So, um, you know, the minority language in our case, which was French, because we were living in English speaking society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we both um, did that. And, you know, me as the non-native speaker, it was easier when they were little, of course, because um, they're, they're, um, you know, their, their vocabularies weren't as sophisticated and all that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, but so until, and so for us at the time, until I'd say my son, my older son was about eight years old. They only heard, um, you know, we only had French books. They, we only had um, TV that was in French at the time it was DVDs. Mm -hmm. And so that we didn't really show them any kids shows or anything in English. Yeah. <laughs> and so one day when my um, older son was eight years old, he came home from school and he's like, mom, my friend Cameron has TV. And I said, well, you have TV. And he goes, no, mom, he has real TV. <laughs> Because he'd finally figured out that, you know, the broadcast TV or whatever or streaming or whatever existed. <laughs> but, you know, that was really gave them a really um, strong foundation. Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and at that point, of course, he was going to school, so he knew, you know, English was out in the world. But till my kids were probably, till they went to um, a daycare, and they didn't really, you know, have any other, um, they didn't have any um, English speaking input from the house, in the house. You know, they didn't really, they were just little French speakers in this kind of little bubble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> um, like mine. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, and I understand too, that not everyone can take that kind of drastic of an approach um, because both parents might not speak the second language or, you know, or other family members and things like that. Right. My family just thought it was funny. My English speaking family, they just thought it was kind of cool. So they, you know, were like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and we don't live in the same state as they do to either. So, but I think, but basically the idea is if people are listening and think, well, I can't do that. It's too extreme. I think what you want to do though, is give them as much input as you possibly can. What, however that is, you want to give them the maximum input that you can in your situation mm-hmm. for like videos, reading, speaking, interacting as you can get in the second language. Mm-hmm. So do the max that you can, whatever that is in your particular case. So true. Eve. I mean, you know, this year, especially we noticed with our three-year-old that when she came home from her little preschool for the three months when everything had kind of shut down because mm-hmm. um, she had had so much English input at school after she'd been home for it was like March through June when everything was closed school-wise for her age um, her her Portuguese got really sharp at that time um, it had already been very good I mean she's fully bilingual but it was amazing uh, like the conversations we were having with her and we realized like it's because she's getting now more input again from Portuguese than from English. And so do you see that shift? Did you see that with your kids? When they'd have like breaks from school at home and then it would be mostly like during the day they'd be at home. So it would be like all in French. And then like, did you see shifts in how their language developed depending on the language, like what, what they were exposed to more? Yeah, I was thinking about different examples that come to mind is I remember one time my son asking me, um, at his preschool when he was younger and he saw a butterfly painted on the wall and he said, well, how, what's the word for that mom? And I said, you know, yeah. I said in French, I said papillon. And he goes, no, I mean in English here. He's like, no, je veux, je veux que tu me dis en anglais. He's like, tell me in English. Cause he, he was searching for that word, you know, like, like you said, kind of that. And then also, um, another example I had, I, I had slipped away there. But, um, oh, I know what it was, was that I think, um, the kind of related to what you're saying, that's why it's really important too, for it not just to come from the parents, but for you to have these outside, like maybe interacting with relatives if you can, even if they're far away, but mm-hmm. also not just that, but like videos or movies or whatever, because I do remember a case where, um, I can't remember the word anymore, darn it. But when my son, he used to watch this show that was called, it's Choupy for little kids in oh, French. Yeah. And he, we had lots of mm-hmm. videos on that. And then he would, I remember one day he was talking to me and saying these different words and I thought he didn't that from me or my husband where did he learn that from and he was yeah. Learning. Yeah. I mean you couldn't I don't think you would be as sophisticated if you just had videos but no. you know to have all those different sources of input That's is really true. important yeah. and the, yeah and they're going to get stuff from you that they're not getting from that and get stuff from that that they're not getting from you so it rounds it out better mm-hmm. yeah. I agree yeah and you know what I, I was thinking that we should link to um, your you and Corinne did two episodes on on this topic actually for your podcast right so I think you have an episode oh, yeah, yeah, on yeah. bilingual kids and you have an episode on maintaining your second or third language. So we should definitely link to those. Oh, great idea. Yeah, thank you. And I wanted to say just because my kids are teens, I think that um, just things I've read and just t- interacting with people too is that, you know, of course, as they get older, it's harder to keep that interest in that other language. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I hear you, you'll read a lot in the literature anecdotally too, that people will say, well, it was all good and fine when they were little. And then my kids kind of rejected it. And I feel like, um, 
in my case, for the most part, we never had that where my kids never said like, I don't want to do it or I don't want to speak French, you know? And I think in our particular case, and I think the other people, you know, I'm sure have this too, and they can learn from it also, is that my kids, you know, we somehow (laughs) were successful in really making them feel connected to their French heritage and their French relatives. And they want to speak with their grandparents and they, you know, interact with them often. And so that they have, they have a stake in the game. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, we're like, do this thing because it's cool. (laughs) Or, you know, do this because it's so neat that you're bilingual, that they actually see the connection between why should I be bilingual? Like, what do I get out of it? They get to talk to their cousins. They get to go to France or they get to whatever. They get to read other things that other kids can't read or, you know, that kind of thing that, that for my kids, um, you know, I feel like they're still, they have a stake in the game and they're still interested in it. And they never had, had that rejection that I hear some other people talk about um, because because they feel like they have this, you know, connection to the, to it. It's not just an academic. Well, and you developed their interests in that language too, from the start. I think that that's a big part. And I'm not saying other parents don't do that, but I think that, you know, like, um, I remember talking to you once we, we were probably in a meeting or something and you said how you, you know, I think we were discussing how hard it is to find books in other languages for kids, like as, as they grow older, just, you can't in the U.S. You have to get them like in France or for us, like in Spain or Brazil or whatever. Um, Cause what you can order online here is very limited unless you're going to pay like a hefty shipping fee for, to get it from another country. And, but I do think it's really important to try to do what you can to like see what they're interested in. And then, like you said, apply it to their everyday life, you know, like how can you apply something that you already do um, in that language? Yeah, yeah, no, I think so too, yeah. And one thing I know, I, I probably said this in our old podcast episodes too, is that um, one, this is what I think was a secret weapon <laughs> and kind of related to what you and I are talking about right now, is that my kids have had magazines mm-hmm. in French from France since they were babies. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this exists in the US too, but they literally, and, and, and my older son, my younger son likes them okay, but my older son is really into them and he still gets them at 17 and he really likes reading them and it keeps him, and it's always, they've always changed, you know, over the years for what level, you know, they're at. So he's still not getting the baby magazine, obviously he's getting one for 17 year old. <laughs> but I think that's really helped them too, be interested. And he always reads this like, oh, I want to read you my favorite column or whatever, you know that it's at their level and and that it's but it's something that people in france would read what they're reading is not something that's for um it's not a bilingual you know it's not for teaching it's, it's a, something yeah. that they have been able yeah. to read all along oh, i like that awesome. yeah but so, like you said that was that, that that it was aimed at the interest that they had so i like that a lot so yeah that's a great that's a really good tip actually so um you've answered all of our questions for now but we wanted to um let our listeners know that eve is going to join us today for our segment uh what's on your desk I believe, or is it the book nook? Both. Both. Okay. So both of them. Um, so we have two popular segments. If you've never heard our podcast before, um, we'll start, I guess, with what's on your desk, which um, where we share a tool, gadget, or resource that you use in your work or personal life and that you find particularly helpful. Um, so Eve, what do you have on your desk right now that you're currently enjoying? Well, what I have that sits on my desk and then sits on my ears <laughs> is I've just really been into um, things lately to make listening to content easier. And so wow. I had a birthday recently and I just bought myself as a birthday present <laughs> a nice Bose Bluetooth um, headset. Not a headset, but you know, oh. um, full on the big ears, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so, no, like noise canceling. 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm really enjoying those. And I feel like, well, for one, I thought like, oh, for years, I thought I didn't need that. I thought I don't need Bluetooth. I'll just do it with the wire. And then I'm like, like the same thing. My kids are trying to talk to me. And I'm like, okay, I have to take the phone out of my pocket. I have to pause the thing I'm listening to and then say, what, you know, what, what do you want? <laughs> and then so instead, in this case, um, I just felt like, you know, I'm, I, especially like we said, we kind of, we're all kind of re, reworking the way we live, right? Yeah. And so for me, I just really like enjoy having this comfortable headset that is just really easy to pause. You know, I just reach up there and just pause it without having to take my phone out of my pocket. And it's just making it a lot easier for me to, when I need to have this kind of cocoon privacy of listening to audiobooks, music, podcasts, or even talking on the phone. So I just mm -hmm. really like that, that I um, got that. And then the other thing that I... Um, like this related to the listening is I do have a really cool um, small um, Bluetooth portable speaker that's called the Wonder Room that I love when I don't need to have it kind of in my ears and be, have it kind of private where, you know, mm -hmm. maybe nobody else is around, but I, I, um, I don't want to hear it. it's more tinny on the phone, but I want to hear a louder sound, you know, so then I'll put it on that. And so... Um, and we also have, we have um, overhead speakers in our house that we can use, but sometimes I feel like that's too far away. I don't know. I'm really into sound, I guess, because <laughs> sometimes yeah. I feel like it's over my head. It's too far mm. away. It's on my ears. It's next to me. But I just feel like there's all these different situations that change, you know, why, how you want to listen to stuff. So I'm just really into that lately. And so those are my two things. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, mine is something that um, I think we probably have mentioned a few times on the podcast, but it's been really helpful for me for project management. And I always ask Veronica, did I talk about this yet? Because <laughs> I just, from one episode to the next, I don't remember, but um, it's Asana. Have we talked about Asana? Like as one of our gadgets or tools? Not in a long time. I feel like we may have mentioned it. Yeah. Before. I think we've just talked about how we use it for the podcast. A little yes. Bit. But yeah. honestly, like I tell everybody about Asana and I have, uh, if you're a member of ATA, you can find from when we had the most recent uh, conference in New Orleans, I, I did a whole presentation about how I use Asana mm -hmm. for my business and for volunteer work, but it's been really helpful in keeping track of projects I have going on with other people. Um, and so it's something that's not a new tool by any means, but I think that even if you work by yourself, Asana can be a really helpful thing. I remember like with Eve, um, when we were working on, I was handing over a lot of the stuff to you file wise from the public relations committee for ATA. Um, right. Yeah. I just pulled you into my Asana project and you were able to see what we were working on. And it was just a really good way to kind of you can keep the conversation there if you want to, rather than on email. And you can just organize your projects and set deadlines so that it sends you, you know, updates and reminders and, and things like that. You can uh, integrate it with other tools. And actually, Veronica and I are working on integrating um, uh, Asana with a couple of tools right now, I believe, at least one mm -hmm. uh, with Slack, I think, so to integrate that way. So there are integrations as well that you can do uh, with Asana. And I think even if you don't work with other people, it is one of the best ways to stay organized digitally if you don't like the paper, um, you know, yeah, paper side yeah. of things. So that's so yeah, funny because I, I was wondering if I should talk about Asana and I, I'm glad I decided not to. Like I was a little on the fence as you 
probably remember like in our previous episodes, I said, oh, I don't know, I kind of like Trello too, you know, I'm, I'm experimenting with both. But um, this year, like you know, <laughs> the, the phrase we repeat a lot since the pandemic started, <laughs> yeah. um, I've switched to Asana completely and I would not survive without it. Like with all of the things going on, you know, personal things, projects that I'm working on, like mm. paid projects, volunteering um, projects and mm -hmm. anything, like I keep everything in Asana and I set it up so that it syncs to my calendar it sends me reminders every day like it's it's amazing oh wow i'm glad to hear you guys talk about it too because i do use it some but I, I guess i'm not using it to its power i use it for some ata projects like um madalena got me into but it's good to hear you guys talk about how it really um you know is more is more powerful apparently than i'm you know that i'm benefiting from and also i do want to say about asana is that they do seem to really support their user base they have a lot of um it seems like they have a lot of webinars and they have a lot of yeah. um training mm -hmm. online and things like that, you know, on mm -hmm. videos yeah. and things. I try to convert everybody to Asana, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it is quite powerful if you start digging around and seeing what it can mm -hmm. do. Even the free version. Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, the tool that I was going to mention that is kind of odd and I would never have thought that I would buy it, but this year again, <laughs> change everything. <laughs> Um, it's the it's a ring light. I bought a ring light, and the reason why um, is mm -hmm. um, that I, I like the office uh, used to belong only to me. Like Evie said, you know, the house belonged to you mm -hmm. before the whole family moved in and started working and studying here, and so mm -hmm. now switch desks with my husband and so he took my desk which um, is by the window and I took a smaller desk which is where the window is behind me so the light is really bad and I noticed like um, in video meetings and when I when I talk to people I it mm -hmm. looks so dark on my end so I bought a ring light that plugs into my computer and I feel like people can see me better I feel <laughs> um, I feel sharper somehow like you feel you know you you look better on the screen I, I can't help but notice um, how everyone looks on on those little zoom pictures so that ring light just helps me feel like uh, a professional you know whether it's a meeting mm -hmm. with colleagues or with clients it's it just kind of one one thing less to worry about yeah i use one too i use it especially when i'm recording like videos for the courses mm -hmm. i teach and stuff it's yeah because uh, you never know i mean if, if you work with in an office like i have windows that it's sunny only during a short part of certain time of yeah. the day so if you want to record like later in the day and the sun is is on the other side uh it can be really dark but natural light is always better and you can make them look like natural light you know yes yeah uh -huh. yeah there's several settings cool okay so uh now let's move on to another popular segment the book nook and if you're a perfect guest to talk about this we know uh, how much you love books and we love being a part of your global reads book club um that by the way we recommend all language professionals and bookworms to join <laughs> thank you so what book are you reading right now or have you read recently and would you recommend it to colleagues yeah, I just finished one, um, and in this case, I did actually listen to it as an audio book, and it was really fun to have, it was read by the author, and I think sometimes that, you know, in certain particular genres, like memoir, can be really helpful and interesting if the author reads it, mm -hmm. and the book was, Nobody Will Tell You This But Me, A True As Told To Me Story, and it's by Bess Kalb, I guess, K-A-L-B is her name. Kalb, uh-huh. 
Yeah, and it's um, it was a kind of a love letter to her grandmother, and the and the device she uses in the book is she speaks as her grandmother, sort of from the grave. I mean, it's not as corny as it sounds because she, um, you know, she's just kind of speaking in her grandmother's voice, and her grandmother told her stories about their family over the years and about her great grandmother coming from Belarus, mm -hmm. and it just has a lot of universal themes about you know the basic thing I got from it is we all want to. Um, survive and thrive and have better have something better for ourselves and our families and so um it was just a really um neat story that kind of you know basically their family memoir that starts in 1870 not super long mm. but she covers you know like maybe going back to 1870 up until you know modern day through the great grandmother the grandmother and then her, um, her mother and herself and i just really like that and i i do really like um memoirs in general and that was a good yeah, one that's cool wonderful yeah we'll look it up and, and link it in our show notes um i am I've started reading a book that uh, our colleague Karen Kotchik recommended. I think she she tweeted about it, or maybe it was on Instagram. She shared um, that she um, just bought it. Um, the book is called Organized Enough um, by Amanda Sullivan. And so I was super curious to read about this approach. Um, and when the book arrived, my husband looked at the uh, at the cover and he was like, this is perfect. Because <laughs> um, it says the, <laughs> the anti-perfectionist's guide to getting and staying organized. Um, and so my husband and me are complete opposites. I love organizing everything and anything. And he's like, it's fine. Why do you keep changing things? It was fine before you touched it. And um, <laughs> so I was like, well, in this year where everything it's different and I don't have time or energy to like Marie Kondo my entire house or even the office. I just need to find systems to make things work for our current situation um, and just do uh, do it so that it's good enough. Like it's functional. Mm -hmm. It's not maybe it's not perfect in the eye of a perfectionist or a professional organizer, but it's good enough. So the book covers all areas um, of life. You know, it's it's both physical clutter and uh, like any uh, electronic clutter you may have, like email oh, or nice. file files on your computer so a little bit about everything and i'm really liking it so far cool. yeah thanks for that um, what about you Madeline? yeah oh so i'm reading right now everybody who listens knows that i like thrillers <laughs> um i just finished last night actually um a new to me author's book her name is lisa jewel jewel with double l at the end uh it's called watching you and um, it's a it's just a novel is uh, came out last year and she's written a few other New York um, Times bestselling books. And I mean, I hadn't heard of her, but um, I think I'd heard of one of her other books and, and a friend of mine um, read it and sent it to me was I kind of do that with some people. Um, if we read a book we like and we want to share it with somebody, we just mail it to them rather than keep it, you know, just sitting on a bookshelf. But it's good. It's a it's a thriller. And what I really enjoy about um, reading thrillers by lots of different authors is that, uh, for example, this author, um, she's from the UK. So it, you know, you get to read the UK English, obviously that's a little different mm -hmm. from American English. And so uh, yeah. you get to see some different terms and words and, and just phrases that you're like, that's a really fun phrase, you know, but, uh, yeah, the book, uh, is just, if you like, uh, mystery and, you know, kind of tricky suspense type stories, um, she, she does a great job of pulling the the characters in um, and and kind of intertwining their lives over a period of time. Like um, it was over this one was over a period of many years, um, and you know I don't know if either of you are like this, but sometimes I I 
totally don't see the the twist or the ending coming. Mm-hmm. And this one, I saw part of it like early on. I was like, oh, I already know who did it, you know. Mm-hmm. But there was another piece of the puzzle that I totally didn't expect, and uh, so it was just good. It was just very well uh, connected, and I think that that's a, probably a really difficult skill you know, as a writer to, to be able to kind of map mm-hmm. all of that out and figure out how am I going to connect these and not say too much here and then, you know, leave, leave a little bit of mystery so people don't quite know the story before it ends. You're right. That's interesting. That, that's, that is a real skill that we, mm-hmm. I think that about, um, just like you said, to get that kind of surprise where it's not, you know, where it's not over the top or whatever, but you're still surprised and you think, oh, and that makes it a fun read for you. Then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So thanks again for joining us today, Eve. Thanks so much for inviting me. It was really fun. Thank you. It's been a total pleasure to talk to you as always. And we know our listeners are going to appreciate your tips for maintaining their their language skills. Uh, But before we go, where can people hear or learn more about you online? Um, Yeah, you can go to my website, which is, I think you guys will put it in the show notes. As Mm -hmm. I said earlier, it's a difficult name sometimes for people to get right, but I'll I'll say what it is. It's Mm bojainternational.com. And I'm sure that'll be in the show notes. And then um, also speakingoftranslation.com. And if you are interested in joining the book club, um, that is also on my website under the book club tab. And then I'm on Twitter as E Bodu. I'm on various um, social media, but that's the one I'm most active on. So it's mm-hmm. at E B O D E U X. Great. Yeah. We'll put all those links in our show notes. And to our listeners, Eve has created a special resource for everyone uh, who's on our email list. So if you're not there, make sure that you join our email list on our website. Uh, We'll be sending out Eve's recommended uh, reading list of memoirs in translation. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, as I said earlier, I um, love memoirs and um, I just think it's fun for intercultural experience and kind of, like we said earlier, universal themes um, specifically to read memoirs that are intercultural and or in translation. So I created a list of my favorites over the years for you guys to see if you, any of those are interesting to you to, to read too. Thanks. Yeah, that's perfect. I know that we have a lot of listeners who enjoy reading as well. Um, So that's it for this week's episode. Next week, we'll be sending our email subscribers a summary of today's episode with a link to all the show notes uh, and resources that we mentioned today. And if you'd like to receive our emails, please sign up for them on our website, smarthabitsfortranslators.com. And if you like our podcast, there are a couple of simple ways you can show your support. Please share the podcast with your colleagues and friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This only takes a minute and we have recorded a quick video tutorial to show you how to do it. We'll link to it in the show notes. Talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered some simple strategies that you can apply today at work or at home to help you achieve the lifestyle you desire. If you did, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic you want us to cover, please send us a message at hello at smarthabitsfortranslators.com. If you like this episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share the podcast with other translators you know.